Before we get into the show and introduce today's guest, I would just like to thank United Medical Credit for being sponsors of this podcast and of the Business of Dentistry. As a matter of fact, they have a special offer for Business of Dentistry members, 0% merchant fees for the rest of the year, and 30% discount for life after that. You can get that special deal by either going to DocOffInvestments.com and clicking on the Deals section, or by going directly to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD. Thanks again, UMC. Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower coming to you again from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today I am joined by Raghu Pattaya. Dr. Pattaya is a world expert on infection control, HIPAA, and OSHA. And he is here today to share a little bit with you about infection control. He actually just came out to my offices and uh, he, he did a, a little bit of a of an inspection there to see if there's anything that we needed to change or fix. And I thought it was such a great experience. I wanted to have him on the podcast uh, to have him talk to you a little bit about some things that he finds most commonly uh, and uh, perhaps some, some tips and tricks. Dr. Pattaya, how are you today? I'm good. A little cold. It's not Texas anymore. (laughs) And I, I, I can't find the emerald, I mean, the ruby shoes. (laughs) <laughs> hey, click it together three Maryland. times and it'll bring you back to Texas. So talk, oh, yeah, to, me, I will. talk to me a little bit about um, your process uh, and, and a little bit, talk to us a little bit about your company. Uh, first of all, and, and, and why you're an expert in this field and why people should listen to you. So go ahead and give us your CV. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, about my company first. Uh, my company is Tooth CE. Tooth CE, Continuing Education, LLC, and it's toothce.com, okay? I, my background is I'm a dentist. I graduated from a dental school in India, the old uh, state of Mysore, which is in the southern part of India uh, in 1983. And then I got into private practice as an associate with one of my, you know, senior friends, part-time. And then part-time, I started doing surveys and school health programs. The reason I did that was there was more money in the school health programs, you know, and then I got hooked onto it. You know, I had a whole bunch of grade schools where uh, we as a team, I used to I used to hire dentists to come with me. Five or six of us would go in and we'd start screening the kids on a triplicate form. Give one form to the parents of the kids, one to the school, and one we'd keep. You know, and that actually increased the uptake uh, of care by the parents. You know, for the kids, and the dentists were happy. I didn't refer them to anybody. I just gave it to them. I said, you go, you know, and that actually pumped up a lot of good feeling with the dentists. Then I expanded into uh, the field of medicine. You know, I added on a lady, a medical doctor, Dr. Phillips, 
then Dr. Basvaraj, Sunil Basvaraj, not um, from here, but uh, they actually started looking at the medical aspects like eyes, ears, throat, you know, and everything else. And, you know, gynecological issues of the, you know, kids turning into adulthood and so on. And it, it bloomed. And then what happened was uh, Christian Children's Fund wanted me to screen 40,000 kids, you know, in remote parts of India. I said, let's not do that after the first 4,000 kids I screened. I said, there is a problem. You know, more than dental, they are suffering from malnutrition. So why don't you take the rest of the monies and put it into a nutrition program? And I handed it over to the medical doctors in my group to go and start, you know, screening them for issues in malnutrition. You know, a, a lot of them were anemic. So they spent that money. Then what happened was WHO and the Indian Council of Medical Research uh, wanted somebody to lead a field, uh, you know, what you call epidemiological study, uh, who was a dentist in looking at oral cancers and oral precancers of 30,000 people at their doorsteps in the villages. And I said, okay, you know, I had to give up a lot of money working for the doc, uh, for the government. <laughs> I was making bookers of money staying at home, you know, and well, I said, let's, let's, this is going to be fun. And then I became Indiana Jones for three years, leading a team of 15 people. We saw everything, the snakes, the spiders, the scorpions, and a lot of cancers, total cancers. I hit a wall uh, when I couldn't understand numbers. So I said, well, let me come to America and get a degree in epidemiology. So for the first, two, uh, first year and a half, I came to the US, got my master's in epidemiology in chronic disease epidemiology and in, in, in infectious disease epidemiology, went back to rejoin, but the project was a mess. The school called me back at UAB and they said, why don't you finish the residency part? You know, since uh, you're already uh, qualified as a public health dentist, do the residency. I did my residency, uh, that was in uh, 1992. Then Johnson & Johnson had opened up a new uh, postdoctoral fellowship under Dr. Catone in San Antonio, Texas, uh, in infectious disease control and dentistry. So. He wanted me to join him, so I joined him. Two years became four years, and then I said, well, I need to get a job. So then I came to Baylor. So since a long time, you know, right from my fellowship days, uh, or my residency days, my projects were in infectious diseases. I was seriously in, uh, interested in that. And um, uh, after four years in San Antonio, looking, treating, diagnosing uh, oral lesions, which were related to HIV. You know, I thought that this is a good profession to be in. And there were very few people. There were four other fellows after me. I was the first guy. Four other fellows after me. Most of them are not in practice or they are in service. Uh, joined Baylor College of Dentistry at that time. It became Texas A&M College of Dentistry taught in diagnostic sciences as a clinical faculty in the tenure track area, did a lot of, lot of projects, research projects, uh, close to 150 of them, right from Johnson & Johnson to Castellini's to, you know, small ma and pa R&D companies, 
I got a bunch of federal SBIR grants. And, you know, my full-time job was a faculty in diagnostic sciences. In 2019, I got tired. I said, I quit. And I started Tooth CE, a dental safety education company. And I'm trained in infection control, infectious diseases, epidemiology, trained in OSHA, and I've been doing this for the past 35 years almost now. HIPAA came in in 1995. A bunch of things have changed since then. You know, it's one state HIPAA and as well as the national HIPAA. A lot of things have changed since 2008. Here I am, and the world is mine, and the world is for everybody. So that's who I am in short. Now, yep. one, one of the things that you, you left off there is that you've actually consulted with um, India's government on health, con uh, on, uh, on microbiology and, and on infection control and things like that as well. So you, you've got a very well-rounded uh, well education whenever it comes to infection control and infectious disease. Talk to me a little bit about some of the problems that you see in dental offices or, or even even in dental schools as you have gone around and, and assessed these, uh, these facilities? Well, let me start with a, a little bit of history of what has happened over the past 25 years. You know, 25 years ago, every school almost had a course in infection control, either integrated clinically with well-qualified, well-experienced people in the field of bloodborne pathogens. Uh, when I was in San Antonio, we had a 24-hour contact hour infection control uh, thing. Then the fourth-year students had to do a whole week of OSHA training, almost an hour and a half each day for five days. You know, that Dr. Cooley handled that. And then we had two exams they had to pass, you know, because everybody was aware of HIV. You know, it was uh, it was a real disease. It is a real disease. There was social stigma attached to it. Nobody wanted to be, you know, called, uh, you know, a gay or a lesbian or something like that. But apart from that, it killed a whole bunch of people. Schools had programs. They, I gave my slides. I had over 600 slides I developed for San Antonio. I gave it to anybody, any Tandik or Harry who was a faculty in any school in, around the world. But over time, the 24-hour thing became you know, less than six hours. And by people who did not have scholastic background in teaching or background in education, who have actually faculty who joined you know, in good faith, they taught what best they could, but it had been whittled down, you know. So <clears throat> what has happened, what I've noticed over the past 10 years is not many schools even have a six-hour program. It is integrated into the clinical aspect of training where a faculty will say, do this, expecting the student to understand his whole background or her whole background. So there are no dentists with really good training uh, in clinical infection control. Then it comes down to hygiene. Hygiene schools have got a little better or a stronger training, but it is limited towards what they do rather than what happens totally in the clinic. You know, procedure-based infection control is very different. And a lot of it happens in the rest of dentistry than in dental hygiene. 
I mean, I don't, I'm not blaming anybody, but this is a situation, as they say in Jamaica, it's a situation now. Well, so you know, what I've been seeing is, you know, Raghu, you raise a great point there. Uh, I can't think of a single dental school that I know about that has in its program even teaching the dental students how to use their autoclave or chemiclave or anything. You know, they, they just say exactly. you got to autoclave your instruments and it has to be this temperature at this pressure. And that's it. They don't even teach them, you know, what to look for if something goes wrong. Right. You know, there has to be a hands-on, hands-on, you know, rotation, just like in, <clears throat> in a treatment planning clinic or in something else. They have to have a one-week rotation of handling things, right from, you know, washing your hands to autoclaving stuff. I mean, it is, it is a process. What has happened is a lot of dentists have not been trained in. I'm not saying they're not aware. They have not been trained in. The schools have let them down in one way or the other because that's where it has to be taught. They don't know the difference between a chemical indicator and a biologic indicator. They don't know the capacity of a dry heat autoclave. I've known clinics who called me and said, you know, orthodontic clinics. We use a, a dry heat sterilizer, but our hand pieces have been breaking down. Of course, they will break down. You do not put your you know, your hand pieces, because if it's got a phenolic bearing, it's going to break down at that temperature. Right. You know, Look, uh, then what has happened is then you have dental assistants who have been trained for, you know, six weeks to 12 weeks. But they don't know the science. Most of them don't know the science. I don't blame them either. But but that is the situation we are in. And what happens is over time, if you don't know about it, you don't pay respect to the that particular field and then mistakes happen you know you explained to me one day when i was at your clinic you know a long time ago when you asked one of the assistants to bring you the surgical or the implant handpiece you tell me what happened oh yeah she, she yeah. dropped it on the ground then picked it up and went to hand it to me to use on the patient she didn't have a job that afternoon no i i know i mean but but see in one way, you can't blame her, but at the same time, uh, a lot of it is common sense, which we kind of overlook. And then what has happened is a lot of marketing companies and, and dental industry come and give you an one hour Absolutely. of training and then give you a little more on the CE program. I mean, the CE credits for that. I'd love to actually expound on that because I think a lot of dentists, they, they do this cheap route and I say cheap route because, you know, it's quote, it's free. What it really is, is that it's an opportunity for that company to give you false information to advertise right. their products. Uh, we actually had an example of this in my practice. I knew that what they were saying was BS. Now, I was actually wrong about some of it because it was your research that they were basing it on. Do you remember this? It was the yeah. air water syringe. So talk to us a little bit about right. that. So th what they said was... You have to use, it's illegal to use anything except for a plastic disposable air water syringe tip because they found that air water syringes can suction up bacteria and that they're never going to be truly sterile. And so I thought that was BS and I called it. And I did find out it was BS about us having to use the, the disposables, right? We can still use metal tips. 
Yes. But what wasn't BS is that it actually did suction up, but it suctioned up, what, 21 inches, if I recall correctly? Yep, up to 24 inches, it can suck, a, there's a suck back uh, thing. Yep. So talk to us a little bit about how that piece of research that you did has been abused to use these free CEs, free, uh, free infection control CEs and free HIPAA OSHA CEs to take money out of dentist's pockets down the line and for the rest of their career. So talk to us a little bit about right. that one instance and any other instances of exactly that kind of thing that you've encountered in your career. So, uh, so in 1995, uh, see, I was doing a lot of uh, materials research, uh, equipment uh, testing, equipment development, product development and stuff through UT San Antonio during my fellowship. It was a part and parcel of my training. So uh, BW Industries, which ended up selling their airwater syringe tips to Densply, uh, they had approached me, I mean, in good faith, saying, <clears throat> listen, the plastic tips are better than the metal tips uh, for many reasons. Number one is it could be microbiologically bad in case they didn't autoclave the metal tips. That's number one by mistake. Number two, uh, you know, metal tips autoclaved are cleaner actually than uh, supplies, you know, which are, uh, are more sterile, let's say. Uh, metal tips are more sterile rather than the supplies we actually pick it out a plastic one attach it. The downside of the metal tip is it has, uh, you know, bores in it, which are pretty long, okay? Uh, biofilms can gunk in and it can get caked up and it can get blocked. And what happens is if, if the O-rings holding the metal tip, you know, are, are kind of worn out when you compress the air and the water, there have been cases where the metal tip has gone all the way into the esophagus. It, it actually shoots it out, mm -hmm. you know? So <clears throat> they said, test it out. And I said, I can't test only yours, but I'll have to test it in comparison with, you know, there were, there was other two other tips, plastic tips. And I gave it, I did all the microbiological stuff, the SCMs and everything. We actually cut the metal tip, you know, uh, using a saw vertically to look at what it is to put it under the SEM. Uh, you know, long story short is the clinical uh, testing. I, we gave it out to uh, different departments in the school and asked faculty and students to test it. And then on a form blinded, we said, give us back your feedback. And what they found was this particular tip actually was better than using a metal tip. And it was definitely better than the two competing plastic tips. We didn't choose the plastic tips, uh, comparative tips, because they were bad, but they were the good sellers in the market too. You know, we matched it against the best. Fine. So the issue is not uh, metal tip is bad. You know, technology in the metal tips have changed now as well. The O-rings and the locking mechanism has changed since right. then. That is number one. And by the way, oral surgeons always used a metal tip. The good thing about that was they could actually clean it with a brush as well in case mm -hmm. they felt that they wanted to go. So metal tips are not bad. Plastic tips are not any better. So what, what, I, was, what I was getting at there is how a commercial company can misuse research 
during these free CEs to convince your team of things that simply are not true. In fact, usually these people, these reps, they don't even know anything at all. They only know what they've been told. And so it's, it's the blind leading the blind. It's not even the one-eyed man leading the blind. You know, these, these people, these reps, she truthfully believed that the suckback was going to be uh, fixed by having a plastic tip. Well, if it's being sucked back 24 inches into the, into the tubing, yeah. well, then nothing is going to fix that. But that's exactly what they were being told is that they were being told that if you use a metal tip, it was dirty and non-sterile because of the fact that this suck back went 24 inches back into the tube, but they didn't know how far back it went. Otherwise, you know, it may have made sense to them. They just knew that it was, it was bad, right? Hey guys, now a quick word about our sponsor. I'm really excited to announce that we've partnered with United Medical Credit to offer an exclusive deal just to TBOD members. Now, United Medical Credit is a patient financing provider with unique waterfall lending process. It allows them to approve a much wider range of applicants. In fact, the widest range of applicants in the entire field. I've been using United Medical Credit in my practice for a couple of years now, and I'm seeing great results. They really speak for themselves. I see at least 30% increase in the number of patients who are actually approved whenever going through UMC. And the best part is patients are accepting treatment. More acceptance, more patients means more revenue. Right now they're offering TVOD members a special discount of 0% merchant fees until the end of the year. That's right, until the end of 2021, you get 0% merchant fees charged and they're gonna give you a 30% discount for life after that. Now, if you wanna claim this offer for your practice, go to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD, or as always, you can go to Dockoff Investments, click on the deal section, look up UMC, and register. Thanks a lot, guys, and UMC, thanks for sponsoring. And, and so, it, in a way, a lot of times when you subject your team to training that's quote free what you're really doing is you're subjecting them to very very purposeful very intentional brainwashing they're they being lied yeah. to. it's a lot of missing yeah sorry it yeah it's a lot of misinformation see that the suck back for that to attack that you have to clean your dental water lines right on a you have to shock them you know the best way to do it is do it at once a week to shock the lines and use uh, a low-grade antimicrobial, you know, for the dental treatment water. Or the next best would be a once a month. But then, you know, people are using uh, devices that will actually be inside the bottle, you know, the, you know, attached to the intake tube. Right. And they do not want you can't most of the time remove that that device and shock the lines to get rid of the biofilms it's a biofilm issue it's a dental treatment water issue the suck back thing you know when i worked with uh, uh, castellini and the university of bologna you know we got a grant from them in fact uh, to the university you know to texas a&m they wanted us to evaluate the dental units they automated dental systems you know what? They used sterile deionized water, okay, to treat every patient. Mm -hmm. 
between patients, there were soft sockets where you could stick all your lines in and hit a button and it would actually flush parasitic acid through the lines mm. and do a post flush with sterile water. Within four to five minutes, you were ready for the next patient. All the lines could be detached. There were pneumatic buttons. You could detach them. The suction lines could be autoclaved. That was a true surgical chair, yeah. but they used it for I general bet, dentistry. I bet the rinse state off of that was still bacterially infected. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But, but nothing compared, nothing compared to what we are seeing in the rest of the world. You know, that was a requirement. And no. they, you know, the, the difference was their understanding of infection control is that to become a dentist in Austria or in Italy, you have to get your medical degree first. Dentistry is a specialty. Being an orthodontist or a prosthodontist is a super specialty. To do implants, you almost have to be trained. In, you know, you have to have two to three, uh, two and a half years of advanced training to place implants. Right. So they look at it from a medical standpoint. Uh, look at this part. You know, uh, Chris, you have an advanced degree in life sciences. Right. You followed a stronger infection control or sterilization of your devices, like the cups, the you know the pipettes, the gloss pipettes and stuff like that, much better than what you saw in dentistry, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So that is the word we have to spread. See, we are all dentists. We run our clinics. We are the tip of the iceberg, the head of the clinic. And infection, you know, infection control doesn't, uh, infectious diseases don't happen every day. There's no surveillance of dental offices to begin with. But when, when the thing hits the fan, the clinic is shut down. Absolutely. People lose their jobs. You have to face lawsuits. And, and it doesn't have to be the dentist mistake. The dentist is the head of the ship. You know? Exactly. It, it could be something the hygienist is doing, something the assistant is doing, someone who just was trying to help out who did something wrong, but it's still going to come down on your license. Correct. So, but, you know, on the other hand, I'm more comfortable talking to the hygienist. <laughs> you know, they are nitpicky about little things. You know, it's a good thing. You know, at least one one group is is not bad. They don't hate infection control. But on the other hand, there's an overkill as well. You know, but, but what do you do? The, it falls on the dentist. It falls on the office manager. So what I designed was for uh, for infection control. I'm developing a self-assessment form for each clinic. For OSHA, there's a self-assessment form. For HIPAA, there's a self-assessment form. So today, let's talk about uh, just the infection control part. And then within the week, I give you the form. You host it again, along with this thing. Fantastic. Uh, or later, uh, for anybody to download. You know, I don't care. The world, uh, US is big enough for 20 potatoes. I'm not trying to sell, my, uh, sell any product here. I will well, sell there's, education. There's, there's only one ragu. Come on now. The, 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 I sell education. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong. So let's talk about some of these things. Um, you know, you're going to you're going to give us the self-assessment form. I'm going to post it in TBOD so that people can use it freely. Um, and if they yeah. want your help, they can go to toothce.com and they can sign up for some courses. I believe you have virtual courses and in-person courses. Yes. Um, do you actually from, offer... From Sure, you go also ahead. offer to go out to the offices. Now, I know you did that for me because I'm, I'm, I'm a close personal friend. 
Um, do you offer ever to go out to offices and do an assessment? Uh, a lot, as long as it's close by. You know, I did it a lot in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Louisiana because it was close by. I, you know, I've come to uh, Massachusetts. They've flown me down to Massachusetts, to Seattle, to other uh, California. You know, although it's more expensive for them to do that, you know, but uh, I do offer online self-assessment uh, programs that are there on infection control, a four-hour infection control on infection, uh, a course on infection control, and they get four hours CDE through the AGD, then two hours of OSHA and two hours of HIPAA. And these are pretty meaty and comprehensive. Yes. And there's not I a whole lot say of fluff there, you know, and, and the information that you're going to get is going to be real information, true information, yes. and not information that's, that's created to make you buy things. No, that's, that's, that's true. And I've kept it uh, so that, you know, it's, it's okay for both sides, people who want to study versus people who want to only put the brick in the wall uh, to show the state boards, uh, you know, that they have their CE credits and the training. Uh, it's okay. And also, uh, I'm putting up a whole bunch of other things. On infection control, I'm going to be putting up 10 more chapters and I'll be uh, putting out podcasts. They won't get CEs for that, but uh, if they want to take a test and pay a fee, they can go ahead and get CE for that. Then on OSHA, I can expand it to, you know, certain aspects of OSHA uh, things. But on HIPAA, there's going to be four more very intensive items, which I'm going to put. I've also spoken with uh, oral surgeons and uh, oral pathologists, radiologists. Uh, down the line, we're going to be uh, putting only dental safety issues and courses. My company is not going to put something on aesthetics, but I can put infection control and aesthetic dentistry. Uh, I won't be talking about implantology, but the infection control required in implantology. So it'll all be oriented towards safety. We also, uh, from next week onwards, we will be opening up for uh, virtual programs where we can take up to 100 people. You know, I don't want to handle more than 100 because I have to have somebody to make sure that they're clocking in their time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but 100 people is good because the Q&A is not bad. You know, I can handle that. I can't put that on uh, Facebook and YouTube at the same time, you know, because it has to be a two-way street. Uh, so uh, about five to 10 offices uh, at a time, they can register. We plan to do it on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays of the first week, uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays of the second week. And then the rest of the two weeks, I'm going to be taking off. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's, uh, uh, if you can let me share the screen, I'll, uh, I'll, sh I'll show a, sc a screen of uh, one of the things which uh, we'll be talking about, uh, window, yeah. Chris, can you have a, uh, can you see the screen? I sure can, and so can they. Okay, so uh, here's something on infection control. You know, today we'll talk just about infection control. But let me give you an overview. So infection control, OSHA and HIPAA, they're subjects that are mandatory for training. You have to show proof of training and they differ. They differ you know, in states. Some states have different requirements uh, for different uh, you know, subjects. Uh, but by and large, 
you know, for dentistry, there's not much of a difference because a disease is a disease. Uh, occupational safety is an occupational safety. Some of the fines may differ. But for HIPAA, Texas has got House Bill 300, which will slap on another $250,000. And the consideration of uh, who, uh, you know, an, a business associate versus the rest of the people who treat uh, patients are slightly different. All state uh, states boards of dental examiners require at least two hours of infection control every year. You know, that is to control nosocomial and hydrogenic spread in your clinic. <clears throat> Most of the schools don't teach this now. Then uh, second one is OSHA. They require at least uh, every year or at least in our training in office and equipment safety, bloodborne pathogens, hazard communications, and globally harmonized systems. That's on chemicals, you know, the last one is. Now, HIPAA is uh, basically required every two years, or at least required every two years, okay? You also have to look up uh, the state HIPAA or House Bill 300 for Texas. Now, <clears throat> The infection, see, you can only get CE for infection control, but you cannot get CE for OSHA and HIPAA. Well, uh, there's a small caveat out there. If you're doing your mastership or fellowship in the Academy of General Dentistry, then they consider the trainings on OSHA and HIPAA as a part of the CE requirements for the fellowship or mastership. Okay, that those are the only caveats. Infection control is based on the CDC's guidelines and recommendations. OSHA and HIPAA are based on federal rules. Infection control takes care of spread of infection in the offices for both patients and employees. OSHA scope is, you know, mainly for employees, you know, safety of the employees in a workplace. HIPAA is basically to handle patients' protected health information safely while using, transmitting, or sharing. You know, it's very simple, actually, okay? So today, we talk about infection control. So uh, what is normally required for CE credits, as I've read both uh, through the uh, ADA CERP requirements and uh, the AGD PACE requirements are, you have to know the history and background of why infection control is. You know, I, I bring in uh, topics or aspects of what happened 3,000 years ago with the pharaohs in China, in India, in other countries. You know, almost like prehistoric stuff. But they did stuff because they understood a pattern all the way down to COVID, you know. And we go in depth, you know. Then the impact of infectious diseases on dentistry, you know, during uh, the HIV and hepatitis B, hepatitis C uh, era of, you know, spreading infections, we talked about how it affected these uh, dentistry through bloodborne infection or bloodborne conditions. Okay. So most of what we did till 2002 was controlling bloodborne diseases mainly. But then from 2002, then 2008 and 9, 2015, 
onwards, we started concentrating on the airborne conditions. You know, because we had very, very strong and immediate reaction from exposure to certain airborne pathogens as opposed to tuberculosis, which happens over time. And the disease is a chronic disease. But the current diseases are very acute diseases that turn into chronic diseases like SARS, AH1N1, and so on. So we talk about all those diseases and let's not forget simple things like herpes. You pick up herpes, you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. You're gonna be on an antiviral, antiviral pill, okay? So, uh, and then there are a whole bunch of other diseases that have changed the course of dentistry, okay? You know, before 1992, it was okay to wipe down your handpiece. Before 1987, it was, uh, you know, okay to treat patients with bare hands. Today, you ask a person, would you want to touch a patient's mouth with your bare hands? They'll say, oops, no, no way. I can't imagine. Then uh, the other aspect is, you know, you spend a lot of money on materials. You know, Chris, you can always interject anytime, okay? If you have any question. So, um, Selection and use of and uh, use and misuse of germicides in dentistry. Most people who talk about disinfectants or sell disinfectants don't have that background to totally explain to you what is the capacity of the disinfectant. You know, I talk about I classify disinfectants based on efficacy, based on how deep and wide it can control. You know, today everybody is using, you know, most common one which is being used is a quaternary ammonia compounds. I mean, our quaternary ammonia compounds. You know, all the sides, you know, we see the wax side, this side, you know, all those kind of sides. Those are quaternary ammonia compounds. Those are actually tweaked cleaners like Windex, you know. Um, Basically, they're good cleaners, but they're very weak uh, germicides. You know, the stronger germicides are the chlorine compounds. You know, one of the things which people had neglected since the 90s uh, is, is hypochlorous acid. We used to call it the analyte. You know, hypochlorous acid is very compatible with humans and with surfaces of all types of materials. It's undergone probably the best testing other than the glutaraldehydes and the side XOEAs, you know. And I've tested these things, you know, pretty much in the lab, materials lab. They're great. Uh, they can kill spores, whereas we are kind of toying with what a company is selling and propagating. Okay. Now, selection. You, got, you don't have to have a disinfectant for this. You don't have to have a disinfectant, um, soak, pre-soak. You don't have a blood breaking, uh, soak, all those things. You got to choose one disinfectant will work for pretty much everything, which will kill everything, which is supposed to kill, and it will not harm your equipment. Okay. That is what, and then it should be affordable as well. Now, now, one of the things you're, you're bringing up there, I think, is a very relevant point, um, and that is the equipment harm. I mean, if, if it didn't cause such extreme oxidation, bleach would be the 
choice. I mean, it kills everything. And, um, you know, even in a dilution, though, it does cause corrosive damage to your equipment or can, which, as we both know, anything that has a very rough surface is very difficult to <clears throat> disinfect or sterilize. You know, the old the old the old saying in, in our lab, whenever I was doing my undergrad work, you, you referenced earlier was if it's not clean, it can't be sterile. And I think that yep. that's an issue with, you know, a lot of the a lot of the uh, techniques that people are using out there, they're not doing a pre-scrub and then a soak yep. and then a sterilization. They're just taking them, rinsing them, and then sticking them in the sterilizer. And those are not sterile instruments. No matter what the no. indicator says, the instrument inside right. is not sterile. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, let me give you, bleach has got a fantastic role in endodontics. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but that's the truth. So the, then what happened was bleach was used, uh, you know, to clean floors, which were resistant. Bleach was mild bleach. Let me tell you, not the 60,000 parts per million. I'm talking of 500 parts per million. Okay. Now, bleach. Uh, so what happened was, uh, I'll give you an example. This is a funny story. It happened in Saudi Arabia. So the U.S. guys had trained some of the uh, people at, uh, I think it was Aramco, to clean the water lines with a mild bleach. Okay. So there was one tech who thought if mild is good, full strength is better. If 10-minute contact is good, overnight is better. And guess what happened to eight of the dental units he was handling? They died. They died a miserable death. Bleach is good. Now, on the other hand, there are much safe bleach is very corrosive as we all know you know its ph is is crazy alkaline you know we're talking of five times removed from seven or even eight now hydrochlorous acid on the other hand is actually generated similar to what bleach is generated electrochemically or it can also be chemically generated but its ph is closer to you know it's probably one uh, you know, one part off of the normal pH. But its capacity is that if it's exposed to adequate time, you know, like about 15 minutes, it can even break down spores. Okay. On the other hand, the next level would be the phenolics. <clears throat> okay. Other acids, the other acids like hydrogen peroxide. That's a, a good disinfectant, but it has to be stabilized. And it shouldn't be more than five to six uh, percent, okay, in concentration. Hey, folks, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure I thank United Medical Credit for sponsoring this cat podcast and also the business of dentistry. Go check out their website at www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD to get a special deal. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.